Well, guess what? We are finishing our October series called The Why Behind the What. We're finishing that up today. Next week, we will begin a new series on the fruits of the Spirit called When Hearts Collide. We'll be talking about basically when our heart and God's heart hit each other, that's when we can start feeling the feelings of God and have the fruits of the Spirit. So we'll be talking about that starting next week, but this week we finish our series, The Why Behind the What. Now, how many people want abundant life in Christ? If you're going to get abundant life in Christ, it's going to mean that you are going to become good at various spiritual disciplines. So just like if I want to reach my physical peak and become a great athlete or something, I need to train, I need to eat right, I need to get my sleep, I need to go through certain physical disciplines in order to reach my physical peak. So also in order to get abundant life in Christ, we need to go through certain spiritual disciplines and learn how to uh, walk in the ways of God, to do that well. And so we've been covering different spiritual disciplines throughout this month of October in order to see the why behind the what. Because there are lots of things that we know we're supposed to do, but if we don't understand why that is, we'll be under-motivated. For our last installment of the why behind the what, we're going to talk about daily devotional time or Bible reading time and what the point of that is. How many people know you're supposed to read your Bible? So, how many people aggressively, consistently read your Bible and you've never had a downtime in your life? You're just like, yes, Bible. I've had times where I have been absolutely mesmerized by the scriptures and spent literally all day in the Word. I have had times not like that. There's kind of some ups and downs. Now the deal is, is that it seems crazy to me that we could have the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God, which is useful for changing our lives and changing the world. We have access to the ways of God and the answers to all the problems that are going on in our personal lives, in our families, in our nation, and around the world. We can have access to that and not really care. Isn't that bizarre? But doesn't it happen? So, one of the important spiritual disciplines that is part of walking with God is learning the scriptures and staying in the scriptures, having a devotional or Bible reading plan. So, let's talk about that. We'll begin with my experiences with the Bible as a new believer. So I got saved when I was 19. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I didn't know anything about the Bible. I mean, I I think I knew there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, but like I didn't know Jesus was in the New Testament, but not the Old Testament, you know, stuff like that. I had very little understanding of what the Bible was about. And so when I got saved, I wasn't really sure that I knew what to do with the Bible. It's an interesting thing because I started reading in the book of Matthew and then I saw Matthew 7, 7, which is the, you know, asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open verse. And so my salvation moment was in prayer, quoting that verse back to God and then God responding to that. So I, I started with 
quoting scripture to God in prayer and having God show up. That was how I got my beginning in the Lord. But still, I wasn't sure what to do with the Bible. I mean, I knew there was a God, but I had always thought the Bible was just another book that people wrote that how can you trust it? It's been handed down from generation to generation. Different people have done this. Other people have done that. Who knows what's even in there if it's even accurate? How do I know that? It was my initial thought. And so I spent some time trying to figure out what to do with the Bible. And one of the things I intended to do was to find out whether or not it was true, and so to go through it verse by verse and prove it out. So if I could go verse by verse and prove the Bible to be true, then I would trust it. You know, good scientific method sorts of things. So I started in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm like, okay, verse 1, what do we got? Let's see if we can prove this. And I went through chapter 1. And you know, chapter 1 of Genesis is challenging when you're trying to prove it out. And I studied it really, really, really aggressively. And I found out that that was just the first page. And the book is big, so this is not going to be an effective strategy. I'm going to have to make a decision to either accept the Scriptures as the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God, or I'm going to have to put my own ideas, my own thoughts, my own reasoning above what I read in the Scriptures. I'm going to have to choose between the two. And so I decided, it was a decision, to by faith, not by sight, not by proving each verse, but to by faith accept the Scriptures... The Old and New Testament, the basically the Protestant version, as the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. I chose to do that. It was a decision that I made to say, I will accept the Bible as the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. Then, something happened. In my faith walk... There are three major events that have shaped me and helped me to come to a knowledge of God and walk into the power of God. These three events were, number one, getting saved in the first place. That's a big day. Then there was being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the heart change, the heart transplant that was necessary. And then the third one was Just believing that the Bible was the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. Because then, here's what's happened. After I decided to trust the Scriptures, then my life actually began to change. Because before that, if I read something I didn't like, I'm like, eh, that's probably not for today, or eh, it's probably not something I really understand, or eh, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. That probably was just a man thing that got slipped in there. And so, rather than me changing... I didn't change, and I just sort of dismissed what I was reading. Once I decided by faith to accept the Scriptures as the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God, then when I read something in the Scriptures that was different from what I understood, then I changed the way I thought. And so my life began to change, and I saw the fruit of believing the Bible. And my life began to change, and I actually started to get somewhere with following God. And I made a decision in line with that to 
for 10 years to just read the Bible, to not read any commentaries, to not look at anybody's theological statements, to not do anything along those lines, but just read the Bible. Since I had kind of a clean slate, I figured, well, that's an advantage. I don't have to unlearn anything. You know, one of the unfortunate things about growing up in church is you probably have to unlearn some stuff. I didn't have anything to unlearn, so that was an advantage. I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to color my vision by reading somebody's theology. I'm going to read the Bible. So I spent 10 years. I said, I'm going to do 10 years just in the Bible. Now, I went to church and stuff like that, but I didn't read anybody's theology works or anybody's commentaries. I just read the Bible for 10 years and tried to get a grip on what it had to say. And over that time, man, it was, it was a beautiful time. Now, of course, I read different theology statements and, and commentaries, and I do all that stuff. But it's good to have a background in just reading the scriptures for the first time without having them be colored. And as I've gone through this, I've seen other people's relationship with the scriptures, and I've noticed both personally and in other people that there are wrong ways to read the Bible. Do you know there's wrong ways to read the Bible? Let's talk about some of those. What are some wrong ways to read the Bible? The first one we already alluded to, which is as a judge of the scriptures. If I read the Bible as someone who's evaluating it to see whether or not I like it, or whether or not I really think maybe it is true, then I'm judging the scriptures. We don't want to read as a judge. James 4.11 says this, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Do we want to sit in judgment on the law? No, we want to keep it. So what James is saying is that we're not supposed to slander each other. So no gossip, no complaining about people, you know, in that you can tell the truth. The truth and love is good. But when you start like, oh, yeah, I can't believe, you know, that sort of thing. Don't slander one another. If we say, ah, it doesn't really matter that much. Now we're saying that that truth of God is not important. We've judged it as insignificant. And we've decided that our opinion, that we can go ahead and do that, is more valid than that truth of God. And so now we're judging the scriptures, judging the law. And that's a dangerous place to be. We want to keep it, not judge it. So we don't want to read the scriptures as a judge. And this verse itself was one of the verses that helped me to make the decision to just follow the scriptures because I didn't want to be someone who stood before God and said, yeah, but I thought you meant this. And oh, I didn't really think that mattered. I want to stand before God in obedience, in obedience to what I believe is his holy, inerrant, inspired word. When you read the scriptures and you judge or evaluate the word instead of submit to and obey the word, then you're basically reading it as any sort of book. And if you read the Bible as an unholy thing or as nothing special, then it's going to be nothing special. And you're going to be like, okay, yeah, whatever. There was a flood. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I guess they ate a lot of fish. There weren't very many at the beginning, huh? And it's going to be not that special. 
But when you read it as the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God that's living and active, that gives you access to the truths of God, and that through the Holy Spirit can be something that awakens you to the ways of God, then you read it in a completely different way. And it can change your life. So don't read the word as a judge. Read it to be obedient. Another bad way or a wrong way to read the Bible is to read it in order to prove your point. We want to seek the truth. Don't seek to win the argument. All right? Seek the truth. Don't seek to win the argument. Here, now I, I've got two degrees in philosophy. You know, I got a bachelor's and a master's degree in philosophy. I was good at it. I got paid to get my master's degree. I mean, that was, that's neat, you know. That's kind of fun stuff. But I was good at arguing with people. I was good at formulating arguments and debating and being able to find out how to win the argument, but I was in an environment with a lot of other people that were the same way, and I noticed something. And I believe this, I believe this is completely accurate, that the better you are at arguing your case, the more likely it is that you're wrong. Because you can take bad evidence for something that's not even true And win the argument with it. If you're bad at arguing, you have to be right. (laughs) And half the time when you're actually right, you're still going to lose the argument. But you will always be right because it'll all fall apart. Because you're just not good at defending the argument. So if you're really, really good at it, you can take something that's not true and you can defend it and you can prove your point and you can say, yep, see, I was right. But you're wrong. So what we don't want to do is to try to be really good at arguing. Instead, we want to get really good at seeking the truth. Don't get good at arguing your point because then you're more likely to be wrong. Instead, get good at seeking the truth, then you're more likely to find it. So when you read the word... Take out all your biases. Try to not have a horse in the race. Don't read the word to try to defend what you've been taught in the past or to defend your opinion or justify something you're doing that you know isn't right. Just seek the truth. So don't read the scriptures to prove your point. Read the scriptures to seek the truth. A third wrong way to read the Bible is out of obligation but without faith or expectancy. Out of obligation, but with no faith and no expectancy for anything to happen when you read it. You're like, well, i got to get my chapter in, and you read it. What happens to a lot of people is they end up studying Bible trivia. They end up studying Bible trivia instead of finding the life-changing eternal truths of God. I don't really care if you can list the books of the Bible in order. Don't tell the kids' church people that. But (laughs) I don't care. I care if you can apply the truths of the Bible to your life. I don't care if you remember what chapter and verse, you know, love your enemy is in. I care if you can love your enemy. We don't want to miss the life-changing and world-changing truths of God because we found Bible trivia. Now, go ahead and learn Bible stuff. I wished that I had some Bible knowledge When I became a Christian, because I mean, people talk about all this stuff. I had no idea what they're talking about. I mean, I didn't know the Sunday school stories and it was a little embarrassing. And then, you know, so I did 10 years 
just the Bible. And I became a pastor 12 years after I got saved. So I only had two years to try to catch up on the lingo and stuff. It was tricky. Like people talking about the sinner's prayer. I'm like, I don't remember that. And I was too embarrassed to ask about it. You know, you ever feel like you should know something and you don't, you know, like, I'm like, I don't, I don't remember that. And then I found out, oh, they're talking about repent and follow me. Oh yeah, that's in there. Yeah. Okay. Repent and follow me. I got you on that. They call that the sinner's prayer. Good. But that particular terminology wasn't in there. So I can do repent and follow me, but we don't want to end up with Bible trivia. Have you ever read the Bible? And it was just the most boring, life-draining experience. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. I've been in Bible studies that were so dry, it made me never want to read the Bible ever again. That's not good. But that's not the Bible's fault. We need to go in with expectation, not looking for trivia. And if you're reading a Bible study help thing that is just like super boring, just quit reading it and go to something else. Because you don't want to do stuff that's trivial and boring. You want to find the life-changing, world-changing truths of God. So the right way to read the Bible is as the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God, and then be prepared to obey it. Don't read it thinking, well, I guess I need to, so I can do the thing they told me I'm supposed to do and then have no desire or expectation of actually doing what you read. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. In the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So Jesus is saying, if you hear his words and put them into practice, that storms will come but you will be able to stand your ground. It doesn't say that storms won't come, but storms will come and your foundation will be firm and you'll be able to hold your ground through it. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So these are people who are familiar with the scriptures, but they just don't actually do the scriptures. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It doesn't matter if you can quote the Bible. It matters if you can do the Bible. That's what makes the difference between when the storm comes If you can hold your ground, if your life is based on a bunch of lies that you've told people, when the storm comes, down you go. If your life is based on truth and honesty, when everything gets revealed, you'll still be standing. If we can do what the scriptures say, then we can stand on this firm foundation. So, why read your Bible? I've got four whys. The first why you read your Bible, the why behind the what, is so that you will see the truth and not be deceived by false teachers, so that you'll see the truth. We want to know the truth, we seek the truth, we want to see the truth, believe the truth, and we want to know the difference between truth and falsehood. Now, I am so thankful for freedom of religion. 
This is a great nation. But you know what freedom of religion gets us? Lots and lots and lots of goofiness. Because anybody can do whatever they want. So how can you tell the difference? I mean, if you've been searching for a church, you know, every church is different. And you don't know what you're walking into. It can be very confusing in today's world. Because there's so much stuff going on. So if you're familiar with the scriptures yourself, you can tell if the group is seeking truth or if they have a separate agenda. Acts chapter 17 verses 10 through 12 tell the story of when the apostle Paul and those who are with him had to flee Thessalonica because people wanted to kill him and they went to another town called Berea and what happened there? This is the account and let's look at it. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So the noble character of the Bereans caused them to be open to the message of the Apostle Paul and to judge it based on the scriptures, to compare what was being taught to the word of God. That's noble character, and it's commended in the Scriptures. So if you just buy what I'm telling you, you're in a dangerous place because you're putting your faith in me. If you instead go to the Scriptures and think, wow, that's interesting, let me check that out, then now I'm a catalyst for helping you to explore and learn the truths of God from the Scriptures. And that's way better than just buying what I'm telling you. Noble character is where you are eager and examine. Check the scriptures, see. We want to be able to see the truth and not be deceived by false teachers. Second why behind the what for Bible reading is to help yourself and others rise up. So we've got our vision statement on the sides up here. Reach up, rise up, reach out. We want to connect with God. We want to get better at this thing and we want to make a difference. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we got four things here. All scripture is is God breathed and is useful for what four things? For teaching. That sounds good. That's good to learn stuff. The Bible can teach us things. And rebuking. (laughs) What's rebuking? That's where you get called on the carpet and get told to change. You know what's nice? Is that when you're by yourself, reading the scriptures, and you go, wow, I've got some serious problems I need to change. That's much better than a person having to say something to you like, you know what, you're fired, and you have some things you need to change. It's much better to look into the scriptures and realize, yeah, I got I to gotta deal with this. Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We can go to the word of God, and we can rise up by being taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained. And the result is the next verse, verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It helps us with the rise up part so we can do the reach out part. 
once we get to that place of strength, you know, and it's a continual process, but there's a minimum level, then you can start making a difference and getting uh, some effectiveness done, and we can be equipped for every good work. So the why behind the what with Bible reading, so you'll see the truth and, and not be deceived by false teachers to help yourself and to help others rise up as we discuss the scriptures between each other. The third thing is to access the power of God. To access the power of God. Now let's read Hebrews 4.12 and Ephesians 6.17 and 18. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God is like a double-edged sword. And then we got... Ephesians 6, 17 and 18 from the armor of God section. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So we've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then we've got the word of God in Hebrews, sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God in these sections is both the scriptures and like the word of God being spoken. So it could include a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or some of these other things that are happening, the sword of the spirit. But what I see is kind of two potential problems that we can get to. What we want is we want the word of God to have power and to be an aggressive weapon, you know, like a sword where we can get some real work done. But we don't want to get just into, say, prophecy and these sorts of things and forget about the Bible because we want to judge all those things based on the Bible too. But if all we're doing is thinking, then we got a problem also. So we want to grab hold of the Word of God in its fullness. And what I realized was when I quoted the Bible to God in prayer, that's what this is. It's the power of the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. There's power when we speak the Scriptures out loud in prayer, repeating promises back to God, and it just brings in power from God. Catching that? It's a big deal. But we want to stay in the Scriptures because you don't want to get weird. How many people have met some people who are super spiritual and they just seem to be floating over here by themselves? Yeah, okay, that's why we need to read the Bible, is so that we can see the truth and get a hold of it and then have power. I've got one more. So far, the why behind the what, why read your Bible? First one, so that you'll see the truth and not be deceived by false teachers. Second one, to help yourself and others to rise up. Third one, to access the power of God. And the fourth reason to read the scriptures, to have a daily devotional pattern, whatever it may be, is so that you don't stagnate in your life with God. So that you don't stagnate in your life with God. I'm going to tell you a secret. You want to hear a secret? Here's the secret. At some point, coming to church is going to become less inspiring. New believers, when they come to church... And they feel the presence of God in worship. And they hear the scriptures being spoken and explained. It's like it feeds something deep in your soul. And it's amazing. And then, as the years go by, it's not quite the same. 
It just doesn't quite do the same thing that it did 10 years ago. And you hear a message about reading your Bible and you're like, yeah, I've heard that one before. Then you hear a message about, you know, forgiving people and you're like, yeah, I've heard that one before. And it doesn't quite do the same thing that it used to do. But here's here's an important thing. The time will come when there's a shift where your deepest, most beautiful times of growth and communion with God will happen by yourself in your personal prayer and study time. That's where you will get your sweet time with God. It'll shift from in a church service to in your personal time with God. And that's where you need to not make a grave mistake. Too many people, they think to themselves, you know, I I go to church, but I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not getting much out of it. Well, when that shift happens, it means that now you're supposed to start serving at church rather than just receiving at church. When that shift happens, you receive in your devotional time and you give in the corporate time. So I wrote it down. It sounds nice, so I'm going to read my notes here. New believers come to church empty in order to fill up. Mature believers come to church full to pour out. Now, most of us are a little bit of both, right? A little bit needing to get poured into, and a little bit got some stuff to offer. But understand, when it tips, when instead of being that new believer that comes to church empty in order to fill up, when you're coming to church pretty full and it doesn't fill you up like it used to, then now it's time to pour out. Now it's time to start to serve. Now it's time to bring something. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's explaining to them how to do church and not be goofy. And this is just a little piece of it. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. He says, everyone, when you come together, everyone brings something. They had so much stuff that was brought into the service that they had trouble controlling it. And so that chapter is basically about how how do you control it when everybody's bringing something? But the idea is that we're to bring something. How do we fill up if we come to church to pour out? We fill up in our personal time with God, our prayer time, our Bible reading time. It's how we fill up. Peter Haas, a pastor down in in, uh, the cities at Substance Church, I have great respect for him. He basically makes the same point by saying adults feed themselves. You know, you got to feed a baby, but you don't have to feed a 30-year-old. 30-year-old feeds himself. Adults feed themselves. New believers come to church empty to fill up Hallelujah. Mature believers come to church full to pour out. Bring something. Bring a smile. Bring some faith. Bring an attitude of worship, a spirit of worship, a spirit of love. Bring something. Then the power of God shows up. Let's pray together. I want to pray along the lines of 
becoming a mature believer and seeing that moment so that we learn to serve instead of becoming discontent. But let's pray along these lines. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for giving us your holy scriptures. It is amazing that you knew what people would do to your word and you let us have it anyway. Father, we're sorry if we've read the scriptures to prove a point or if we've read the scriptures without expecting any good thing, if we've read the scriptures with no intention to obey or to help us to see the beauty and the power and the joy of having your truth in our hands. And Lord, I pray for each one here that we would not stagnate in our faith, that we would not get to the place where coming to church just isn't doing the same thing that it was doing before, and then we start looking in the wrong places. But Lord, let us look into your word. Let us have those sweet times with you where you give us revelation and you give us understanding and you you change our hearts and we have those beautiful moments with you. And then we come together and we pour out those beautiful things. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to get to that place so that we can stand together, we can encourage each other, and we can make a difference in this world. Praise be to your name. Amen.